Hello, and welcome to the Future in Review podcast, where we talk with leaders in tech, investment, and business about the future of technology and the global economy. I'm your host, Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. And I'm here today with Jonathan Ross, who is the CEO and founder of Grok. Jonathan, welcome. It's great to have you on. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so we are talking ahead of the Future Interview Conference, which is coming up November 6th through 9th. Grok, we are very excited to have as a partner at this year's conference. And you will be speaking at FIRE about many things, which we will not be covering in this conversation. Um, so, But uh, I, I think one of the things that I find most interesting and inspiring about Grok and about you is that you are very much an outside-of-the-box thinker, right? So you are the kind of person who, when you were at Google, invented the TPU in your 20% project mm -hmm. time. Um, and I'm curious, you know, when you bring that, apply that lens to Grok, tell me a little bit about what it is that you all are doing at Grok. And well, um, that, yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know how much you know about the story, but, uh, you know, generative AI, You've probably heard of this at this yes. point. It's, it's yes. become a little bit of a thing. We've covered it a bit once or twice. Really? Yeah. I didn't know anyone knew about it. Okay. It's so maybe under the radar, but I think I think our audience is probably familiar with it. It's gonna make it. Yeah. So back in um, back in around 2016, um, I I we had just done the Go competition at Google, running on the TPU, and it was becoming clear how big AI was going to become. So. Um, the reason that I left to start Grok was I started to realize even back then that there were going to be the haves and there were going to be the have nots when it came to AI because AI runs on compute and there wasn't right. going to be enough compute. That's why we built the chip at Google. So the reason that I started Grok was to make sure that everyone would have access to AI, that in particular, um, all members of societies that exist in service to their citizens rather than the other way around would have access to AI. Um, and that's what we've been doing. So how do you tell us a little bit more about that? How do you do that? How does Grok in particular do that? Well, uh, a, a big part of that is making compute affordable and available and easier to use. So one way that we do that is um, uh, we, we build these new chips. They're called LPU chips as opposed to GPUs or CPUs. Mm -hmm. They're really good at language. So you don't need as many of them. So it's much more affordable, right? You've probably heard of the shortages. Right. But also we focused on how easy it was to get them working. Um, you know, AI has been around for about 10 years, but not too many people knew about it until recently because it was so hard to access. We make it really easy to, to get started with it. And so, okay, if you compare what you're doing, most AI companies at the moment, many AI companies at the moment are relying on NVIDIA chips, right? Yeah. How is that different from that experience, different from what you at Grok are doing? Well, um, I think one of the biggest things is if you're a generative AI company or an AI company now and you're trying to get started, it's really difficult to stand out. Mm -hmm. um, you're running a lot of the same models because they've been open sourced. Right. Um, and so the models are so... You're probably relying on open AI or something like that. Yeah. And you have the same exact experience on whatever you're doing as everyone else has. They do most of it. Um, our uh, LPU chips are dramatically faster, over 10 times faster. In fact, normally when we show people, they go, whoa, mm -hmm. um, I'm not kidding. And 
uh, when you run on our hardware, Actually, I, you immediately... I watched your demo, so I've seen, oh. I saw the woe in action. I can confirm that it did happen. Yeah, and and like sometimes we get expletives. I can't even repeat some of the things that people have said in the past, like when they see it. Um, I just got invited to uh, do a demo at one of the the large hyperscalers because one of the people who's running some of their stuff saw it and they went whoa. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the thing is, if you run your generative AI software on our hardware, you get that whoa because the whoa is just the speed, and we just do it faster. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's faster. That's great. Is it also, tell me about costs. Like one of the things that I, I know, you know, some folks have trouble with, with, with NVIDIA mm. chips is like, they have to share them, right? They're very expensive. They're in short supply. Um, they'll like rent part of a chip or part of, you know, or part of a computing like time. How does, how does that work for folks using Graph? Yeah. So, um, so we generally save people money. The uh, way to think about it is, uh, it's the difference. But so you said share, right? Yeah. So we all share when we use airplanes. Well, most of I, you know, we do, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we don't own our own airplanes. And so if an airplane's really fast, then and you get somewhere quickly, then you don't need as much of the airplane, right? So you you can buy a smaller fraction of it or a ticket that that's much less expensive, and you can right. get somewhere faster. So the fact that we're so fast actually brings the cost down pretty significantly. It also reduces the amount of power even more. And tell me more about that power reduction, because that's, an, you know, that's another thing I think, you know, the pretty fairly the AI industry is is being looked at with this heavy amount of scrutiny just because of the level of power use required to run models. Uh, actually, and that's one of the reasons that I'm I'm coming to uh, fire because I actually want to learn more about um, uh, climate change and other areas like that and get more involved. There's some things that I'm working on on the side related to that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's unnecessary. It has to do with using the wrong tool or the, well, the right tool, but for the wrong job. CPUs and GPUs are great. They have a great legacy, but you wouldn't use CPUs to generate this image that we're, you know, we're we're viewing right. right now, it would just be too expensive. You'd use more power. You'd use the right tool, right? So because language processing unit um, uh, based systems are so much better and so much more efficient, you can use a smaller number, smaller power and still get the same results. Are there um, other companies out there that are also creating LPUs that you think are similar to what you're doing? Or like, who do you see as your competitors? So as far as we know, we're the only ones doing this. Uh, like I said, we got a real head start. Um, it's actually interesting. Uh, the game of Go is very similar to language. Instead of picking which of 400 moves uh, that you're going to play next, you actually pick which token or word you're going to say next. Mm -hmm. The models are very similar. And so having seen that, we realized that's where this was all going to go back in um, 2016 when we started Grok. And then we built an architecture for this. Uh, I don't know that too many others, if any others, really saw this coming. Okay, so tell me a little bit more. So Grok's technology is basically designed, engineered, and manufactured all in the United States. Mm -hmm. Why Why is that? What is the importance of that from your perspective? Well, I, I think at this point, we all realize that um, we're just like a, a stray airplane flight or, you know, um, a ship that goes off course away from having some real significant issues in Taiwan, which is where most of the chips are built. And that's a problem. That's also a problem for Taiwan, because if there is a conflict 
um, that conflict is going to, it used to be you'd start with airstrikes, you now start with cyber strikes. Right. And if Taiwan were to be invaded, we would need the capacity to keep building chips to be able to defend that effort or uh, support that effort. But the real issue is that we're already having shortages for enough compute for AI today, as is with everyone building out of Taiwan. We wanted to build in the U.S. because we wanted to have an uncorrelated supply chain where people could be certain that they could get supply. And therefore, no matter what, even if there was a conflict, be able to continue deploying these chips. And so you all just made a, uh, an announcement a month or so ago that yeah. you'll be a part of um, Samsung's first fab in, in Austin, which is very exciting. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So that's correct. So we announced that. So we're currently building our first generation chip in Malta, New York, and mm -hmm. we're going to build our next generation in Taylor, Texas um, with Samsung. And um, we're pretty excited. It's a it's a pretty cutting edge uh, fab. And being able to do that in the U.S. is amazing. And um, uh, I think we are one of the first to agree to that, at least publicly we're, we're definitely the first i think yeah i think um, the article i yeah. read said that you were the first so uh, you, oh, okay you can yes. claim, you, i think you can claim that um but, i mean but... we're just we're committed to building in the u.s and yeah. so it's just very important well and you know it's interesting because we we talk a lot about this about you know we've been focused for a long time at sns and at future interview on the chinese national business model and we've watched this kind of in collaboration between china and russia iran and north korea scale up over time um, I'm saying this so you don't have to. Um, and we have, you know, been in close contact with a lot of folks in Taiwan. Clearly, the United States is putting a lot of effort and money and time into building up its own chip architecture and infrastructure. Um, are there, when you look at what we have now, where do you see things working in the U.S.? Because I know, you know, we're still, if so, if Taiwan was invaded right now, we would still be in trouble. Um, you guys are probably one of the earliest movers in this space, and you're, that's not until next year, right? So, yeah, I think yeah. if if there was a real issue, it would be chaos because um, everyone would be fighting over uh, capacity at these fabs. So suddenly, fabs that haven't had enough signups yet are going to be inundated, right? And so you just have to get signed up early. Otherwise, you're not going to have capacity at all. So if you're interested in potentially fabbing in the U.S., you probably need to start now. Um, there, there are a lot of other parts. So for example, in the first system that we have, we use CPUs uh, that are uh, fabbed outside the U.S. Um, we're moving to uh, systems that will be available soon. They're going to have more and more parts in the U.S. And there's always stuff that we could do at the system level more easily. But the reality is it would be absolute chaos. There would be very few entities that could actually provide supply. You have to plan from this for the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, when you think like geopolitically thinking, speaking and thinking, uh, that's actually in some ways a very strong incentive for the United States to try to avoid any kind of escalation in Taiwan. I'm not sure if you could say the same thing of China other than they're in a position where Economically, they're they're struggling a bit at the moment, pretty significantly, I think. Um, so I'm just thinking on my feet here. I'm thinking that it may that may be a bonus for global peace. 
Potentially. So uh, I am not an expert in this space at all. Um, I'm simply trying to make sure that our supply chain isn't interrupted. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I will say that um, we were on a trajectory to be great partners with China in the U.S. here. Right. And um, the stance started to shift to being more, um, you know, self-reliant, less intertwined in China. And then we had to respond to that because otherwise, as a country um, with all of our allies as well, they would have been able to continue moving forward um, and we wouldn't have. So it sort of forced us to start decoupling. In of response, US rock, you're saying, or no, the, the US, the, the US, US. Yeah, okay, yeah, um, we're just ahead of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, um, this started with some of the posturing out of China more so than anywhere else, right? Yeah, a lot of it did, I, I would say. Um, okay, so let's let's switch gears a little bit. There's you know, we're talking a little bit now, especially about grok, but. You know, I know you're excited to come to fire. What are some of the things that you're planning to talk about on stage? Well, today? well um, uh, if I give it all away, why would you come? No, no. So, like, so as big we'll, picture trends, we can, we can talk high level, you know? Well, um, I guess, first of all, am, am I going to be able to show the demo? You want to? Yeah. I, yeah, I think yeah? definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll get to see the world's <laughs> fastest AI chip um, just like chewing through a uh, language like it's nothing um and then i'll i'll probably talk a little bit about how um clearly we we've gone from um you know we used to have to rewire computers then we got to the point we could reprogram them uh and then they got so easy they had these windows now you're just going to speak to them what is that going to look like and a, a little bit of a preview of the future is what you'll get because you'll see what it can be when it's fast because mm-hmm. right now um, you know, if you're using uh, chat GPT, if you're using um, Bing or anything like this, it's slow. It's like dial up, but you're right. going to get to see what broadband looks like for language. I have a question for you that. Uh, so one of the things that we have covered quite a bit at SNS is the hallucination issue. Mm. And Grok doesn't solve that problem. It, it makes it speeds it up. But do you see and in fact, that's not really your focus but do you see any as someone who works very intensely in artificial intelligence do you see any kind of solutions on the horizon for that challenge so uh the best way to put it is humans hallucinate as well that word is probably not the best word um i personally have stopped asking people why they did something because they they don't know why they do things and then they confabulate a story so it's more confabulation than it is hallucination Now, there are things that you can do uh, with speed. So when you have high speed, you can actually have it generate a response, ask it, is this true? And very often it will catch itself confabulating. And so um, that speed is really important. In fact, a lot of the larger players in the space are trying to improve this. Mm -hmm. And the way that they're improving it is by doing more compute at runtime to check the results. But how does that solve it if you can't rely on it to be accurate to begin with? So um, think about it this way. Uh, Have you ever heard of the tree octopus? No. Does it sound real? Um, Depends. Anything could be real, but 
you had to I guess. Heard of it. If you, so, so you're skeptical. I would require additional additional sources to back that up. Right. So, so you're skeptical. Well, there is no such thing. Mm-hmm. However, um, very often you can get a model to say something, and it will know that it isn't true. So think about it this way. If I show you two book reports, Mm -hmm. then you could probably tell which one is better. You you could judge that more easily than writing a good one, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out it's much harder to write than it is to check. Mm -hmm. And because of that, these models can actually check themselves. But right now we're so compute limited. We're literally just doing stream of consciousness Word, 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 and we're not checking anything. They're not having them check themselves. All right. And so, so you're when you're more computer- built in, in the future, built into that would be a level of checking, and that that's right. The speed enables the checking to be to be fe- feasible, essentially. Correct. Whereas right now, we just have to say, "Are you sure that's true?" That's right. And and, and there are these techniques. There's techniques. There's things called. I'm not going to explain what they are. They're technical, but they're called beam search and reflection and all these other things. And you can do them, and you can reduce the amount of hallucinations got it okay so um tell me more about so grok is a relatively speaking new company how are you thinking about collaborating and partnering with other players in your space well we very intentionally uh stay small you Mm -hmm. can only be innovative if you're small if you're huge you have to explain things so actually the the first thing is we do partner with a, a large number of other players in this space. We don't want to do everything ourselves. What we're typically looking for in partnerships, um, I mean, we're, we're building the hardware, we're making it available to people through an API, mm-hmm. um, you know, at various levels. We're, you know, even doing some more stuff. What we're looking for are people who are at the cutting edge of AI, people who've deployed things. And the reason is we offer something that is differentiated. Um, that speed of the LPU-based system is uh, different. And if we show that to someone who hasn't yet gotten something working, mm-hmm. then they don't really appreciate it yet. But those who are actually deploying this stuff in production, they're like, oh gosh, we just got to get this thing running faster. We partner with them well. And what we're really looking for are people who aren't just trying to uh, do generative AI because their board told them you have to do generative AI, but because they, they have something that's differentiated and interesting it's not just another chatbot. It's like, wow, you can do this thing because of generative AI. And we never knew that this was possible before. So those sorts of folks where we can riff, where you can build. Give me some examples of that. Like what kinds of if I'm if I'm looking watching this podcast and I'm thinking, oh, I think I might want to work with Grok. I don't know if they'd be interested in working with me. How would I know? One company that we are uh, about to give some access to uh, generates a very large number of web pages every single day, mm-hmm. and um, they would like to be able to help developers generate those web pages and then iterate on them very quickly. Got it. Another one is a uh, large HR company. Um, uh, wouldn't it be great if you were uh, building, uh, designing job descriptions or whatever, and you didn't have to wait for the whole thing to print out like it's, you know, a dot matrix printer from the past, but it would just instantly show the resume on the screen. You could say, oh, remove this, add this, remove this. So those are the sorts of companies. And that's different than a chatbot, right? But, but also, how, where can this go? What else can be done? What are the things that, 
like we do resumes today. We do mm-hmm. web design web pages today. What are the things that aren't even possible today that might be possible if you had intelligence in the loop? And what do you think some of those things are there? Are there aspects of that the particular like just personally speaking i'm curious like what you're most excited about well um in those areas stay tuned not gonna reveal those okay well okay so tell me about when you think about the future of artificial intelligence and machine learning Mm -hmm. what are the areas you know we know where you and grok are now today we know some kind of like near-term plans for for increasing partnerships and and fab you know production potential mm-hmm. what are the like further term artificial intelligence trends that you're interested in hopping on or taking advantage of so um and and i think the the question you're really asking is where is ai going to go yeah okay all right so right now AI is an interesting tool that does boilerplate work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think it's going to stop there? Probably not. It's probably going to start getting to the point where we trust it enough to start making decisions for us. We're probably going to get to a point where um, we can actually uh, we can actually use it to moderate human interactions. One of the things that is amazing so like empathy there there's no magic way for me to read what's going on in your brain i have to read signals i have to interpret right. in this order to be able to predict. paul ekman facial, paul ekman? facial yeah are you familiar with paul ekman no he's a, a scientist who studies people's like miniature facial movements and then enter- oh <laughs> yes the like the lie to me tv show yeah, right exactly yeah yep so so the reality is you have to interpret signals and mm-hmm. AI is really good at this. And so one of the things that um, I've, I've seen happening is people starting to paste things into these large language models and ask, what did this person really mean by that? And it giving a bunch of answers that they hadn't expected of, yeah, maybe they're feeling this way when they wrote this. Maybe I should reply in this way. Mm-hmm. And so actually helping people interact with each other, because sometimes we just get into our own emotions and we don't see that maybe someone else didn't mean what we thought. Right. So, so I think what these models are going to do is they're going to bring a level of subtlety and nuance to human discourse that has been lacking, that has never existed. And I think that humans are going to get along better than we ever have before. Are there, so I can see where you're going here because, you know, anytime you receive an email the classic advice is if you find yourself frustrated by this email, right? Like take a deep breath and wait 24 hours before responding. Yeah. Uh, so that you don't respond with frustration to, to the, um, one of the things that I think is interesting about, for example, when you start to layer artificial intelligence and augmented reality is the potential to interpret real world signals. Uh, and the ways, like what you're describing, I think could probably be done in the near future from mm-hmm. t- with text. Um, and then when you start to layer that on top of everything else, and you start to parse real world data of what's going on around you, there are so many interesting applications for how this could be used, whether it's 
person-to-person communication, whether it's understanding, you know, more about a city around you, whether it's understanding, doing a better job of training people for like workforce development. So there's a lot of interesting, exciting stuff there. There's one tension that I see developing Mm. between these kinds of innovations and the public, right? Mm. Which is a lot of artificial intelligence professionals don't necessarily understand themselves what it is that they're building. Uh, and what what winds up happening often when you have, we've, we've seen this over and over in the tech space, there's a backlash hmm. to technologies that come out. Um, and oftentimes, you know, there are things that they didn't, you know, AI professionals didn't anticipate or didn't think about that are unforeseen consequences. And so I'm interested if you think about that in the space of the future of AI. Do you see or are you concerned about a backlash coming, even though we know that there are a lot of really positive applications? Why don't we turn the knob on this and ramp it up a little bit? Okay. Um, All right. Not All just, right. I'll, I'll, I'll take care. I'm going ra- to see your challenge. I'm going to uh-huh. raise it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let's put it another way. Is AI dangerous? Are you asking me that question? Well, I'm I'm gonna re- I'm gonna answer that okay. question okay. as as you... best as I can. So um, I was asked recently to make a prediction. Um, uh, you know, for 2028, what would I predict? And my prediction was that by 2028, we would know whether or not AI was controllable. But regardless, and like from a mathematical point of view, just like fundamentally understand. Uh, but regardless of what we know, we would continue to move forward. I think that's accurate. Yeah, I would get on board with that prediction. So it's really hard. Then, it's really hard in society. It's almost impossible in society for the to put the things back in boxes, right? Global like, warming. Laws, you global know? warming. Yeah. Like we all know it's dumb to keep using fossil fuels and we're doing it anyway. Why? Doing it, yeah. Because we can't stop. It's too, and in competition. We're yeah. in competition. And, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do, right? And AI is a, a tool that gives an advantage, a fundamental mm-hmm. advantage, yeah. right? So we're not going to stop. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how can we be smart about making sure that it is safe? And there's some obvious, th- like things that even a couple of years ago weren't obvious that are obvious now, like we probably don't want AI to have a sense of self, sort of like. Everyone is willing to protect their family. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you don't really distinguish between you and your family as much as you do yourself and others. If AI doesn't have a sense of self, it's going to protect you, right? It's going to protect humans. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be on our side. There's going to be a whole bunch of things like that that we're going to learn. And then there's going to be tension in what we do um, do and what we don't do. My personal goal is to make sure that AI is uh, available to all, but available safely to all. And so beyond the not having a sense of self, what does that mean to you? So and beyond not having a sense of self, so, um, well, part of it is uh, access. It's not safe to have a small number of people controlling AI. Right. And this is something that I really appreciate about, about Grok and about the technology that you've built is that it really democratizes that. 
And this is also why we're in favor of open source models. If you mm -hmm. think about it, authoritarian, I can never say this word. Authoritarianism. Don't worry, I'm authoritarian. Well, I'll say it for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, those types of regimes, mm -hmm. they hate these open source models. Why? Because you can put them on a hard drive or a USB stick or whatever and transport it around and you can't censor it. And it's basically a search engine on a USB stick. And then? So um, any free and open society should love this. Now, there are issues. The issues are, um, what about the biases in the models? Well, here's the thing. People have biases too. It is easier to fix the biases in a model than in a person. And those biases, once fixed in the model, will promulgate across society and help us see more subtlety and nuance amongst people. Yeah. So I think we need this to be open and free. And um, the idea that we're going to cage AI makes absolutely no sense. It's the, the genie's out of the bottle. The question is, what type of genie do we have? What type of genie are we going to create? And I think, you know, to your point about who has access is important it's also important who because because there's an entire perhaps non-technical body of people who will either suffer or benefit from the decisions made as a result of using artificial intelligence so i think from my perspective it's also very important to make sure that there's a wide broad range of people that are involved in yeah. making those decisions and setting those values right because if we if we overregulate you know who is going to be telling everyone what AI they should have? It's going to be people like me, tech people, and, you know, who've had some success. That, that's not what we want. We want everyone to have access. Everyone. Well, I look forward to watching that that happen with Grok. I'm excited to hear more about what you guys are are up to. I think that's a good place to end. We also believe that everyone should have access. Excellent. Um, yeah. And Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I am very excited to have you and the rest of the Grok, not the whole Grok team, but a select. Don't tell few. them because they're all a on their way. Interview. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and I look forward to your centerpiece conversation. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you, Barrett. And looking forward to seeing you in person. Sounds good.